This episode is sponsored by Gopher State Tape Library, a 5013C corporation. Established in 1974, the library has been archiving recovery talks of the many 12-step recovery fellowships across the globe. For almost 50 years, these have been distributed worldwide. The library is the only all-volunteer organization doing this work in existence. There are no paid employees. Thousands of downloads, MP3s, and CDs can be obtained at www.gstl.ecwid.com. The title of this talk is Worshiping the Pointer. It really should have been Don't Worship the Pointer. But worshiping the pointer, and I've got it's interesting because I've got a lot of uh, calls and emails over the last few weeks. What the hell does that mean? And uh, I didn't tell them because <laughs> I want to see if they show up. But this is something that goes back goes back a long ways. And uh, actually, the first place I heard it, an unlikely place for me, was a, a quote from Jesus. And, and they were heaping praise on him for some miracle. And uh, he said, no, it's not me. It's the Father that does the work. And we end up worshiping the pointer. And we missed the point. So some of you know me enough to know I'd like to have starting definitions. So here's one for worship. Adore or pay divine honors to a deity to revere with supreme respect and veneration. Um, worshipful, which falls into the same category, feeling or offering great devotion or respect. So, what the thought was, um, you go to stuff. I do a lot of, a fair amount of workshops and stuff, and people think that you have something special. And you try and convince them it isn't so. But they want to think that it's you and not the message. So I was thinking about this, all the different ways uh, we can screw this up. And I, I thought about the chapter of the agnostic. Because when I started this, um, I was atheistic. So I, uh, I had convinced myself that I had no capacity for faith, love, or worship. And if you study that chapter and put yourself through that, it asks some really interesting questions. And and it helps you understand that you did have those capacities, faith. I had absolute faith in ethyl alcohol. I had absolute faith in self-reliance, in my ego. I had absolute faith in dishonesty, intimidation, um, worship. That leads us right to the, the big three, money, power, and sex. <laughs> had I not worshipfully beheld, <laughs> yes, of course, you know, and uh, and love. And we love a lot of things, you know. I've loved people. I've loved objects. I've loved ideas. And so it, it, it helps get me in front of this, this thing that I perceive as a problem, which isn't a problem at all. It's my capacity for these things. And uh, what is it in... Uh, what is it in, uh, someone's going to know this, I can't, hope, faith, and love in Corinthians? A biblical person? Yeah. Hope, faith, and love? Well, faith, hope, and love, fine. 
<laughs> faith, hope, and love. Faith can be satisfied. Hope can be satisfied. But love is eternal. Most of us have a concept, not most, well, I think it's safe to say, a lot of us have a concept of God as being love. Not the kind of love that we understand in our uh, three-dimensional um, flesh and bone experience, but a love that's uh, beyond duality. When I when I examined what I called love in my life, it was more um, along the lines of the barter system. <laughs> I'll do this for you, you'll do this for me. I adore you. You, of course, adore me, yes? Yes? Could you adore me a little more, please? Thank you. Thank you. And we know from we know from from studying these basic instincts that are talked about in the big book that the instincts are normal. That's not the problem. The problem is is not there's nothing wrong at all with having a desire for a relationship, for having a desire for emotional security, for having a desire for companionship. But what happens with a lot of us, what happens with me is when that line is crossed from desire it becomes need. When it becomes need, then my ego's in charge of satisfying the need. And I go off in these incredible tangents, called them relationships, <laughs> and, uh, and I recreate the same thing over and over, having no idea what the problem is. Then if I finally, I might spend months getting you to uh, acquiesce to my favors, and... Uh, and the mission is, I've got to get this person to love me. I've got to get this person to love me. I want this person to love me. And, and I'm sold on the idea that if I have this person, or if I have this degree, or I have this amount of money, or if I have this retirement plan, or if I have this insurance package, fill in the blank, that it's going to make me okay. Better than okay. It's going to make me safe and whole. So, of course, then if I happen to achieve it, we have another problem. Because then it's not enough. Then it's not enough. Any goal you've had it, that's been based on the ego is not enough. Because as soon as you attain it, then your head comes back to the other side and starts telling you something else. Well, you know, your goal was to make $50,000 this year, and you did. Good for you. All that year, it was telling me, you'll never do it, you'll never do it. Then I did it, I said, ha-ha, I've done it. And then I said, well, you'll never do it again. Or I did it again, I said, well, now you're going to make 65000 And it does that with everything. Everything. So if I don't have any way of monitoring what I'm calling my instincts in this process, I'm a slave to them. I'm a slave to them. So sex, money, and power. The thing that this reminded me of, or reminds me of the most, is the, the first sponsor with skin on that I had. And some of you may have had this experience. You find the sponsor. I love my sponsor. I mean, it's like your father or your mother growing up. For me, it was my dad. You know, the guy knew everything. Any question I had growing up, he had an answer. Any problem I had, he had a fix. Anything I couldn't do, he could do. And that's kind of the way I thought the sponsor thing was supposed to be. You know? <laughs> I get this sponsor. You know, I heard a guy once to talk about, he got sober the 50s in AA, and he thought a sponsor was someone that was going to give him money. You know, like <laughs> company sponsor race cars and stuff. I know someone's going to sponsor me. This is my house payment. Here's my budget. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
But I got this guy and I thought, you know, the reason I picked this person is because I heard him speak many times. And I thought, this is a guy who's got it going. He's got it going at work. He's got it going at home. He's got it going. His marriage has been restored. He's working with guys. I mean, this is the picture that I'm supposed to be going for. And so I, I hooked up with him and, and it was it was a it was a great disappointment <laughs> to find out that that wasn't him. And a lot of times initially it was a great disappointment. Then it became kind of reassuring because this guy ended up being very human. He didn't show up till after he was dead. And then we found out that all the things he was saying weren't really completely true. And he'd left out a few things. And uh, <laughs> and uh, at first blush, it was like, oh, my God. you know. And when you hold your sponsor in that high, high regard and think that they have something that you don't have and they've, they've transcended this whole mess and they're a very special deity walking around on Earth now and you find out they're not, you've got a couple options. One is you look at that and you go, man, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. He lied too. Or you can look at it and say, you know, this is the option I took. <laughs> this is great. Because I was always trying to measure up to an ideal. <laughs> and I found the bar was much lower than I had suspected. <laughs> oh, progress. Got it. Got it. Well, I can go with progress. <laughs> but you see that. I don't know if you do. I get to travel around a lot, and I see this in sponsorship a lot. There's, a, there's, an, there's some scary things going on around that, about people sponsoring people, and, and they're not sponsoring them. They're running their lives. They're running their lives. And, and you, get in, you get hooked into a system like that, and you're two, three, four, five years sober, and it's not okay to go to the group and say, I'm not doing okay because everyone, the expectation that's been put out here is we're all doing great. We came to AA. We got job of the hut as a sponsor and uh, our lives are transformed. And if you want to transform your life, hook up with Jabba over here and Jabba's going, oh, indeed. Indeed. and so you get busy in all this, this activity, but you never ever get to the step work in depth and you end up leaving that group going, well, if I can't get sober here, I can't get sober anywhere. I've sat with these people. I'm just sharing my experience. This is not everyone, obviously. But I've sat with them and said, I can't get sober. Why? Because I was with Jabba, and I relapsed, and uh, they threw me out of the group. Because we don't have relapses here. We only have winners here. You know? And so they said, well, if I can't get sober, I can't get sober anywhere. And they thought, oh, it didn't work. I said, well, pardon me, but maybe you haven't done it. Which brings us to another one of those things we worship, the fellowship. You know, um, I hear this all the time. Um, this club got me sober. This club keeps me sober. This meeting got me sober. This meeting keeps me sober. If it does, you're on really thin ice, my opinion. Because what happens when the group changes? Or what happens when you find out Jabba, who's leading the group, or the longest-toothed animal in the cage, turns out to be very human, and, and some faults are exposed that no one knew. And this is a person quoting chapter and verse. Here it is in the book. It's on the page. Here's the paragraph. Read it. Do it. Call me in the morning. That's scary. That's kind of like, 
it's a bigger version of the one you hear, used to hear. You don't hear much anymore. You can choose anything for higher power. Choose a light bulb. You know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then what happens when I come to the group and the light bulb blows up? Oh, shit. My higher power is dead. Well, here's another bulb. Oh, it's not the same. This was the first bulb I met. It was a bulb that got me sober. It is not. It is not. Sponsor, meetings, clubs. Steps. Steps. Well, before we do the steps, let's do the big book. (laughs) Because they hid the steps in the big book. (laughs) And they hid them well for a lot of us, it seems. (laughs) Really hit them. Where the hell are those? They're right there on the page. They're all in the room. Now I couldn't find them anywhere. I read 40, 50 pages of this book. I haven't heard anything about a step yet. Just something about obsession, compulsion, craving, thinking. How could that apply to me? <laughs> so we have this deal. We revealed the book. How many have been to a John Charlie big book study? A handful. Okay, well, there's there's some guys that have been running around the country for over 30 years doing these weekend studies, and they're deified. Just, it's Joe and Charlie. No, it's Joe and Charlie. It's not Joe and Charlie. It's Joe and Charlie, and it's the book. And we talk about the book and the work, and and we, we, we get so lost in the book, we forget to do what's in it. And we worship the damn book. Here's my book. And we cling to it like it's a life preserver. Here's my book, Sacred Text. Indeed. Indeed. What's in it? Oh, all kinds of things. Let me tell you. And they'll recite them to you. But if you would make the mistake of asking, what's your experience with that? It would be a very short conversation. So we end up worshiping the text and not doing what's in it. Not practicing what's in it. It sounds a little sacrilegious, but I'm really, I'm just trying to make the point. The steps, the meetings, the sponsor, the book, and all the service stuff we can do, the little gatherings like this, the workshops, they're they're only intended to do one thing, to help whoever's participating move closer in their relationship with the power or establish one or even start to form a concept. That's the idea. It's in the chapter of the agnostic. The main purpose of the book is to enable the reader to find the power, and the power will solve your problem. One problem. Any idea I have that gets in the way of my progress. Just a problem. Doesn't have to solve all my problems. That's funny. You know, and they would say things. God, I used to drive me nuts. Some of you might have this experience when you first started going to meetings and stuff. It's like they're talking in code, you know. Every answer is, Serenity prayer. Acceptance. Easy done it. Do it. You know, it's what? I forgot what I was going to say. Solve your problem singular. I still forgot. Did you just wake up? Light bulb. I know light bulb was a while ago. Oh. Main problem is solve the power. It's a problem that is to find the power that will solve the problem. And the problem is any idea, belief, concept, 
that I have that stands between me and being able to do these 12 steps or me and forming uh, a relationship with God in my understanding because that's one of the uh, one of the uh, broad criteria they give me when I'm doing the steps. They say, you can choose your own conception of God. So I need to have something to form that out of. And if those ideas that I form it out of don't allow me to grow it and be in relationship with it, they're not useful ideas. So all these things, we tend at different points in our sobriety to worship. There's another thing we worship, self. Self-reliance. I mean, a lot of us in the room have almost died from self-reliance. So the, the uh, self-pity, self-absorption, self-obsession, anything that starts with self <laughs> is problematic. And we don't consciously go, well, I'm going to worship myself right now. But what am I saying? when I'm saying no to every possibility and resource around me, and basically what my what my marching orders are for that, is, or my response to that is, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it, I'll do this my way. I'll do this my way. My way is the way of self. And hopefully, if I do this work, I immerse myself in this process, I'll establish a relationship with that power. But I can't. I can't if I have a concept like I'll do this my way, in the way. Or I'll do it when I can understand it. Or I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll never do it. Never do it. Um, how about uh, relationships? Friends, spouses, jobs, portfolios. <laughs> so. The meeting and the club can hold and be a conduit for the power, but they're not the power. When I get a, when I have a guy, uh, I sponsor a number of people, and when I, as I get to know them, there's a certain group of people that can hear me. They can, they get it when I explain it to them. There's only a certain group. Everybody can't hear me. A lot of people can't stand me. <laughs> and that's fine. But one of the things that, that, I, that I help them with from the go-get is, you've got to understand something. I'm not the power. I am not going to be your power. I can't be your power. And that would be criminal for me to set you up thinking that I'm the power. I'm not the power. Power comes through me. Power comes through the text. Power expresses through the steps. Power is held in the meeting. When when we have a neat little meeting, we think it's neat. And, you know, that's all that matters, really. <laughs> but people, new people will come in there when they kind of discover our meeting. I love that, you know. By accident, I fell into your meeting. By accident, you say. We're in a dirty, filthy basement at the bottom of stairs with three or four turns hidden behind a desk. And you think you just found us. So anyway, they'll report, God, I like the way this meeting feels. I really, I like the buzz in here. That's a word they, I like the buzz. Really. Yeah, it is fun, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And they'll eventually, 
I hope them, I, I hope they do, and if they don't, I help them get to the question, what's that? What is that buzz? Don't you want to know what that buzz is? <laughs> no, they usually ask, what is it? I said, that's God. We're holding you in the consciousness of our recovery. The people, the men and women in this room that have recovered, we're holding you in that consciousness. And you feel it. You resonate to that. You vibrate to that. It feels good. It's the truth with a capital T. It's hope. It's a way out. Not the way, just our way. But we got it going on. We know, we know how to do it. We're really good at it. We almost died trying to uh, figure it out. And, we, and we've, we've got our lesson plan here in order. And, and we've got some experience we can share. It'll be different for you. It'll be different for you. Because God expresses, God comes to everybody differently. Different language, different books, different ideas, different parts of the steps. Some guys, they just flip out and the lights come on in the third step. Some people, it's the first step. Some people, it's the ninth step. Some people, it's six and seven. For me, it was ten. I was slow. <laughs> Actually, ten is where I started. <laughs> but that's where it came on for me. And the, it doesn't matter. It just matters that something comes on, that something turns on. and. Uh, so the point of this was really, here's a definition I like, character. The inherent complex of attitudes that determine a person's moral and ethical actions and reactions. So that is the totality of me, my character. And really what we're doing here is we're building a new character. We're enlivening the parts that exist that serve us, our fellows and God, and we're letting the other parts go. And that's our intention, to let it go. Some of them seem to be chronic. Kind of like, kind of, <laughs> yes. <laughs> whoa, 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 Charmaine's in the house. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but some of them seem to be chronic. And all I know is that if I have done the things that I am directed to do with those chronic things and they still remain, it's not for me to know why. Because it might be helping you to see me wrestle with my little, my little issue. Or I might not know I'm even wrestling with it, and you might observe it in my behavior and report it to me in some loving appraisal. <laughs> see? <laughs> this is why we get together, because we've all had similar experiences. <laughs> so character. This is interesting. Moral. Concern with the distinction between good and evil or right and wrong, right or good conduct. So moral is about how I think about what I believe. Ethics. Motivation supports me, the motivation that supports me in my actions based on ideas of right and wrong. So that's how I act based on what I believe. And that's 10 and 11. It's, it's what I'm acting out of. So the, the question, really, that, that, that I'm throwing out here is, is, am I worshiping something that's not appropriate to be worshipped? I mean, in, when, when I hear the word worship, I think church. I'm not a church guy. That's why I read some definitions around worship and worshipful. But am I placing something or some person or some group of people in a venerated position that 
is obscuring me from the real mission, which is to get my connection with God. And if I think they're the connection, I'm screwed. If I think they're connected, that's a different thing. They're connected. So then I say, how, how, how does this work? And if, if they are of, of, of the uh, lineage that I ran into, they'll say, come with us. Go where we go and do what we do. And they will demonstrate it in how they live and how they do what they do. And you'll be able to see the principles in action. I saw the principles in action before I knew what the principles were. I hooked up with these goofy guys in in my early sobriety, and, and uh, most of them were veterans, which I have no corollary for, um, except maybe a battle of the bands. Um, <laughs> so I was hanging with these guys, and they're going, well, you know, after I've been around a while, they kind of accepted me, even though I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the right pedigree, but they did kind of let me in. And these are old guys. They're older than I am now. I mean, they were old when I was there. They were old. And they said, well, Wednesday before the meeting, we go out and see Jack at the VA. You want to come? I went, oh, shit. A guy I don't know at the VA, not a good place, with a bunch of people I don't particularly care for. And, of course, I said, yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Sign me up, you know. God. So I said to go with these guys. And uh, I watched them love on Jack. Jack, I mean, these guys were World War II men. They weren't huggers. They weren't touchy-feely. Um, but they were lovers. And they would go out there every week, and they would visit with Jack. And we'd put him in his wheelchair and drag him down to anniversaries and stuff and drop him on his head trying to get him in the club. They used to put a helmet on him when we transport him because we dropped him so many times. <laughs> he didn't give a shit. <laughs> ah, it's okay, it's okay, I'll stop waiting a while. <laughs> but they were the guys that started teaching me about caring and loving and being responsible. You know, this is one of their buddies who fell out because he had a big stroke and he was locked up in the VA. And we'd bring a meeting out there, we started a couple meetings out there and we'd bring him around with us when we could and we'd go out and have dinner with us, have dinner with them every week. And and uh, those guys went out there all, all other times during the week, too. And uh, that's how I learned. That's how I began to learn about loving your brother, taking care of your fellows, because it's the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. And I watched them, and, and I got to see selflessness. And I... And I I, uh, I grew to respect those guys, and I finally grew to love them. They were important men, um, and they still are, the ones that are still alive. But they did some stuff, and uh, my dad was that way. He sobered up 10 years before I did, and uh, he never talked to me about drinking. He never talked to me about going, and I was at the zenith of my career drinking. And I, Every time I was around him, I was blasted. Never said a word. Never said a word. I just watched him change. I watched him how he did his life. I watched all that stuff change. And I thought, yeah. He's doing something because he's different. I can't borrow money from him anymore. Just, um, you know, I mean, it's the demonstration. 
we the way we talk about that is your walk and your talk have to go together. You say this, you say you believe this, you say you believe love, you say you believe in compassion, empathy. Well, then, how are you with your wife, your husband? How are you with your coworkers? Those things I was taught: love, gratitude. Those are actions. They're actions. And if I can get down to the other day and be able to ask myself, where was love present today? Where did I demonstrate my gratitude today? It doesn't have to be big, but I want to know the demonstrations there because, like all of us, there's a lot of other noise in my head during the day, too. And, you know, the days aren't, the days aren't all just high, sweet clover. My days aren't. Maybe yours are, but... My days have a few peaks and valleys in them, in general, and most of those peaks and valleys are between my ears. They're really not doing anything out here. But the challenge is, what am I worshiping as my source? Is it her? Is it him? Is it the money? Is it the job? Is it the degrees? Is it some form of security out here? Because if it is, I'm asking the world, I'm asking you to do something for me that only God can do. Keep me safe, keep me whole. Keep me in the right direction, the right path. I got lots of room to screw up. So, six and seven. What, you know, when we get to that, which really the third step is really three, three through seven. <laughs> but when we get to six and seven, what do we say? Take it all, good and bad. All of me, good and bad. Because frankly, I don't know the difference most days. What I thought was an asset turns out to be a liability. What I thought was a liability turns out to be the seed of an asset. You know? <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. I thought it was wimpy to feel affectionate or loving or kindness or be gentle with someone. I thought that was wimpy. That would be one of the examples of the things I saw. I saw that as a vulnerability, as a liability. It turns out that was the seed of a great asset. Love, compassion, empathy. So it's just for thought. Because to put it back in biblical terms, anything that I'm worshiping, I'm making a false god. I'm making it an idol. And I need to be conscious, conscious as I can be about what I'm trying to serve and where I think the source is for that. Because ultimately, the only thing that can take care of me, can support me, can enliven me, is God. That's where all this comes, that's what's driving your cells, that's what's doing your respiration and all the bodily functions is God. It's not me. It's not my sponsor. It's not the book. It's not the steps. All those things are critical. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying I can't make them gods. Because when I create false gods and they're exposed, then I think the deal was a lie. Sponsorship's baloney. I got I finally I finally humbled myself to ask one of you two leggeds to sponsor me. Turns out you're a liar. <sighs> What am I going to do with that? You know, well, I can make a big case for 
why this doesn't work, or I can say human being. Instincts. You know, I can go to progress, not perfection. I have to find an understanding of that. But the real thing is, is what am I worshiping today? Got money problems? What do you think the source of that, the solution of that's going to be? Got relationship problems? What do you think the source of that solution is going to be? You know, the first thing my ego says is, well, try harder. Try harder. Try it a little different. Tweak it. What did Bill say? He tried to get sober on the force of his will. Then he tried to get sober on force of will and self-knowledge. I got an allergy. I'm one of these alcoholics. Then he tried to get sober on higher resolve, which is self-will on steroids, plus information and a new item, fear. And none of it worked because they were all false gods. My will, my intellect, my, my fortitude, false gods, those things are all insufficient. And if, and if I don't believe they're insufficient, I will prove it to myself over time. If I still think I have sufficient resources to deal with things, um, I can make some things happen. I can create some effects, but I really can't create change. I can make some things happen, but I can't create anything. So that was the deal is about is just uh, thinking in terms of what are you making gods? What are you making gods out of? And what do you see as your source? What is my supply and my support source? Where is that coming from? What does that involve? If it's God, if it's love, going back to Corinthians, if it's love, it's eternal, and there's no end to it. There's no, if Margie gets a whole bunch of love and she gets rocketed into a new dimension, it doesn't mean there's less love for me. Howard gets some, there's, it doesn't mean there's less for me. Infinite supply. Nice source. Nice source. New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.